Welcome to the Triumphal Feast Podcast, a ministry of Elder Bryce Lowrance speaking to you from the pulpit of Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church in Social Circle, Georgia. We're too shy about it. We're too reserved. We need to realize that maybe we haven't been set free because we're not looking to the one that set us free and giving him the praise that he deserves, both today and every day. Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church meets regularly two times a week. Our regular worship service is on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, and our Wednesday evening Bible study is at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you would like to attend in person, we are located at 3749 Mount Perrin Church Road, Social Circle, Georgia, 30025. For more information about these services online or Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church, please visit our website at mppbc.com. This week, we will continue our look at the collection of Messianic Psalms, Numbers 20, 21, and 22. Psalm 21 is our focus today, where we see Christ victorious and rejoicing in His triumph over death, hell, and the grave. If you turn with me to the book of Psalms this morning, Psalm 21. I've been reading and studying this psalm for a couple of years. I'm not saying that my sermon this morning is going to reflect that many years of study, but it has been a psalm that has been on my heart for quite some time. It is the psalm that Elder David Piles preached at my uncle Sonny Lawrence's funeral and gave a charge to have a hymn written to that which we've done. But it is one that has become very special to me because of that. I've been familiar with the psalm, but didn't become as close to it until that day listening to David preach to us and encourage us as we laid my Uncle Sonny to rest. Psalm 21 is in between Psalm 20 and 22, of course, but they are rightly put together this way because we find in Psalm 20, if you'll recall, the prayer of the church as Jesus is facing trouble, as Jesus is in the garden and about to go to the cross. In Psalm 21, we have Jesus in victory. And in Psalm 22, we have how he did it, a description of the work on the cross. And so a prayer of time of trouble And then Psalm 21, we have the steps to the throne. And then eventually we'll be at Psalm 22, where we're at the foot of the cross. All of these things come together to describe to us the glory of God in salvation in Christ and in Christ alone. This psalm is a praise to God alone. There was a poem written probably about the 4th or the 5th century that there's a lot of choral works based on it called the Te Deum. And that is to God and to God only, to you God. And this psalm fits it very, very well. I'll be honest with you as we 
We're going to read through the psalm in its entirety, then I want to talk about some passages in it. But as we read it in just a moment, I want you to even think about the possibility how man can stick his foot in the door to get any credit whatsoever. When we consider the mighty power of God and we consider what David says in this psalm in prophecy about how he gave all praise to God, how much more should we do that now that we're on this side of the cross and have seen what Psalm 22 means? David wrote it, didn't know what it all meant, but we do. So let's look together this morning at Psalm 21. To God be all the praise. The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire, and hast not withholden the request of his lips. For thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness. Thou settest a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked life of thee, and thou gavest it him, even length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in thy salvation. Honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him. For thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. For the king trusteth in the Lord. And through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Thine hand shall find out all thine enemies. Thy right hand shall find out those that hate thee. Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thine anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, with his, in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their fruit shalt thou destroy from the earth, and their seed from among the children of men. For they intended evil against thee. They imagined a mischievous device which they are not able to perform. Therefore shalt thou make them turn their back, when thou shalt make ready thine arrows upon thy strings against the face of them. Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength. So will we sing and praise thy power. As you can see, the entire psalm talks about the power of God. Anytime I've ever preached on the will of man, I have preached what the Bible says about it. It's rotten. <laughs> And so I'm not concerned with the will of man. And when it comes to salvation, it would do good for all of the Lord's people to lay aside their own will and their own desires and let their faith speak forth and saying it's thy power and thine alone. To Deum, to God alone we praise. This is one of those psalms that... Uh, we, of course, know that it's a messianic psalm. We know that it has an application to David, but it really points toward Jesus Christ. And so the language gets a little interesting sometimes about how David speaks of himself, but he's really speaking about Christ. 
The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. Now, if that applies to just King David, it's pretty easy to explain that David was delivered time and time and time again, and so he rejoiced in the salvation of Jehovah that had delivered him. But this is talking about Jesus. And so the king, Jesus, rejoices in the salvation of Jehovah. That cannot be denied what he's talking about then. This is talking about what's going to be described in Psalm 22. Jesus is facing the ultimate enemy, death. Jesus is facing the everlasting and eternal wrath of God for the sin of the elect. And it is a frightening scene. But this psalm says that our king will rejoice. There is confidence. Christ, let me make sure you understand this. Christ did not go to the cross wondering if it was going to work. And so he trusted in his father and his father trusted in him. And so the work happened. If there had not been that fidelity in the Godhead, you and I would be eternally lost because there's no strength in ourselves. So the king shall joy in thy strength. Jesus Christ does not joy in the strength of God and of men. Jesus Christ does not rejoice in the will of God and the will of men. Jesus Christ rejoices in the strength of the Most High God. And when he is in the garden praying, it is the strength of the Most High God that brought him through. I don't understand that. But I don't understand how God could become man. But he was 100% God and 100% man. He prayed to the Father. He was continually in communication with the Father. And the Father sustained him when he was tempted at the beginning of his ministry. He didn't do it alone. He looked to the Father and gained strength from his Father. And so as he's looking to the cross, he gained strength once again from his Father, who is Jehovah. That's the big L, big O, big R, big D. That's the existing one. By the way, in the beginning, God created. That means there had to be an existing one that had everything in him and was all-powerful in order to make that happen. That's who Jesus trusted in, and that's who we should trust in as well. The king, Jesus, shall joy in thy strength, O Lord. You know, you've probably had conversations with folks that don't believe exactly like we do. And what's interesting is when you mention salvation by grace plus nothing, it actually makes them mad, doesn't it? Folks, that's nothing short of pride because we've all felt it. (laughs) But what's interesting is if we get upset that God did it all, then we're doing something exactly the opposite of what Jesus Christ did. He had complete and utter joy. And in thy salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. How greatly shall he rejoice. Christ did some wondrous things before he went to the cross. 
performed many miracles in front of men. After he went to the cross, then he went into the tomb and he was raised the third day and walked amongst men, he did even greater things. He greatly rejoiced in a very special way. I think he continually said, go look at that empty grave. He made that the cornerstone of salvation because it is. And it is the cornerstone of the message of Jesus Christ when he rose from the dead. And so if there was a special and great rejoicing by Jesus, then we should be doing that as well. We don't follow a liturgical calendar that says you can praise and sing this way this Sunday and praise and sing this way the next Sunday. We follow the leadership of the Spirit, but mainly what we do is we look to the Word of God and the Word of God says there is this spectacular rejoicing that ought to be going on. Thank you, two of you saying amen out loud. That wasn't spectacular, the rest of you. I'm not upset. I'm just telling you, we're not praising God enough here at Mount Perrin. We're too shy about it. We're too reserved. We need to realize that maybe we haven't been set free because we're not looking to the one that set us free and giving him the praise that he deserves, both today and every day. Because notice, thou hast given him his heart's desire and hast not withholden the request of his lips. Then Selah. Remember, that's pause and think about it. You know what's interesting there? David doesn't say what Jesus prayed yet. He takes the pause before he says what he prayed. Let me make sure you understand why he did that. Everything that Jesus asked, God gave. David says, think about that. Why is it that everything that the Son of God asked, Father God, Father God granted? Because everything that he asked was according to the will of the Father. He continually prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In the garden, what did he pray? He said, let this cup pass. Now, whatever that means, he is facing the ultimate struggle, the ultimate battle of life. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so God blessed. And so that's something that David says we need to think about. If we feel like God's not answering our prayers, it may be an answer of not yet. But if it's a continual answer of no, you know what that means? We're asking the wrong things. We're asking the wrong things. And the answer of no is actually a blessing. Because your heavenly father knows what you have need of before you ask. And so if you ask him what you have a need of, he's going to give it. If you ask him what you want, and it's not according to his will, he knows what's better for you. He knows what you need. But here is what we need the most. We need to know we need him. And perhaps that's the reason why there's a delay in answer of prayer. Is because we need to know more earnestly how much we need him. 
if the eternal son of God said he needed the father, what do you need? What do I need? Stop distracting yourself with other things. Turn to God. Now let's look at what he asked. (laughs) I love this. For thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness. Thou settest a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked life of thee, and thou gavest it him even length of days forever and ever. Thou preventest him. Now, I've spoken to you this before. We use the word prevent like to stop something, right? To prevent an accident. We steer the car better. But the word actually means something different. It's from French. Pre, meaning before, and vent to go. Before Christ prayed, before Christ came to the earth, God did some things. And that's the reason he answered Christ's prayers. God is not limited in showing mercy, waiting until we ask. The fact that we want to ask is a show to us that he has already had mercy on us. And so we ought to ask. What did he go with before? Before the foundation of the world, God the Father gave his son an inheritance. You. God gave you to Christ in the covenant of election before the foundation of the world. And that is why he answered Christ's prayers. And that is why Jesus went to the cross. And that is ultimately why Jesus rose from the dead. Because God had done those things before. We are born again not because we ask. We are born again because we were chosen. All of the things and all of the blessings that we have are from the Father of lights. They are not from a confusion. They're not from some kind of mathematical formula of prayer. It is just God and God alone. And what we need to understand is that even on a day-to-day basis, when we ask forgiveness, we know that we're not asking for eternal forgiveness before the judgment seat of God because we got nothing to claim. But we feel guilty at times, don't we? And we ask God to forgive us. And what does he do? He's faithful and just to forgive. But why did he? Because you were chosen before the world began and Christ went to the cross for you and Christ rose from the dead. You're eternally forgiven, so he forgives you here in time as well. He prevented Christ. He went before Christ with some things, which means he went before you with some things. He chose you before. He loved you before. And so everything that he does is not based upon anything that we have done, but because of what he did before. He made the covenant. He made a covenant that we couldn't agree to. And thanks be to God, because if we had to agree to it, then it would fail. That's the lesson that we learn in the old law is the old law is there to show us that there's weakness because of our flesh. 
But the new covenant, which is not really a new covenant, it's just revealed to men as new, is that God did it all. Abraham rejoiced to see the day of Christ. Abraham saw. Abraham saw when he was supposed to offer up his son. Abraham believed in the resurrection before he went up on that mountain. He said, the boy and I are coming back. But Abraham also saw God himself walk through those parted animals. Well, Abraham sat on the side. Folks, thanks be to God, he prevented us <laughs> in that meaning of the word. That God did all of these things. Thou settest a crown of pure gold on his head. Jesus Christ, as the old hymn says, laid aside his crown for my soul. That means Jesus Christ didn't become king when he rose from the dead. He was king before. But before all creation, God the Father crowned him king on the cross. And he did it with the foolish statements of men. Where a man not knowing what he was writing wrote king of the Jews over his head. A man that didn't know what he was saying. He said, art thou the king? And Jesus said, thou sayest. That's the amazing providence of God. So what did he ask? He asked life of thee, and thou gavest it him. Even length of days, forever and ever. That right there tells me this is not talking about David. There on the day of Pentecost, Peter could have walked over to the coffin that David was in and knocked on it and said, his dead bones are in here. <laughs> yes, David asked for his life to be preserved time and time again, and God did it. But folks, David ultimately died. But the true son of David, the Messiah, asked for length of days. And what was given? It was given to him forever and ever. When Jesus prayed, you know, a good homework assignment for you would be to read Psalm 21 and then go read Christ's prayer in John 17. They are so close to one another in character. And it tells us what Jesus prayed. He said, Father, give me the glory that I had with you. Christ didn't say, give me glory that I didn't have before. He said, Restore it to me. And he also said, I don't pray for the world, I pray for these that thou hast given me out of the world. Jesus Christ, in the moments before he died, prayed for you. And Apostle Paul in several places declares this, that because he has eternal life, so do we. He was raised for our justification, but he was also raised to declare that death has no hold on us. Even length of days, forever and ever. 
His glory is great in thy salvation. Honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him. Whose glory is great in our salvation? God. Jesus Christ. Because remember this, when we looked at Psalm 20, the people were praying for their king. Because if the king is delivered, then they will be delivered, right? And so when we look at this, the fact that Jesus Christ was delivered from death, we are delivered from death. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? Because Christ raised, we will raise. Unless the Lord returns, you and I are going in the ground. <laughs> that's a fact. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the second death no longer had any dominion on you. Those that have been born again, the first resurrection, the second death cannot touch. <laughs> Don't be worried about resurrection day like we've been studying on Wednesday night. That's nothing to be afraid of. There are many that are going to teach, well, yeah, we believe in grace, but you still have to stand before the throne. That doesn't make good nonsense. If it's grace, then what you got to be worried about? If you're worried, you don't believe in grace. Because think about the mistakes that you've made. Could you make a good enough excuse to the holy God to make that go away? Do you even remember half the stuff that you did? I don't. But here's something I need you to understand. When we stand before that judgment seat, it is not something to be afraid of because he's going to say, come because you did right or you did the best that you could. He says, no, come ye blessed of my Father. When would the blessing begin? Before the foundation of the world. And then it continued in Christ. Then it continued when he rose from the dead. It continued when you were born again. It continues when you repent. It's all by the power of God. Come ye blessed of my Father to an inheritance prepared from you from the foundation of the world. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Talking about two different things then, isn't it? He's not getting your home ready. Your home's been ready. Because God prevented it. God went before and said, these are mine. That's the reason the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 can say predestined unto adoption. It's as good as done. Why did God answer the prayer of Jesus? Because he went before. He declared it before. His glory is great in thy salvation. Honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him. Now Jesus Christ has made us kings and priests to God. 
But that doesn't mean that we're in charge of people. All right? That means everything that David was able to do, we can do. We can stand as a child of the king. That means that everything that the high priest could do, we could do. We can enter into the holiest of holies now because we've been made priest. Jesus Christ was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. By the way, he was king of Salem. He was a king and a priest. And so he is of the order of Melchizedek and so are you. You don't have to go to an intermediary. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. And so it's his glory. There is no place in the kingdom of God for an arrogant Christian. As a matter of fact, that's an oxymoron. Because you're not a Christian if you're arrogant. Because Christ was never arrogant. Never was. So to be like Christ, we have to be humble. And we do that by giving all the praise and honor to him. We are out of time for today. Please join us again next time as we continue our study in Psalm 21, where we learn to praise God and God alone for his glory, his majesty, and his power. We hope this edition of Triumphal Feast has been a blessing to you. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and visit our website at mppbc.com for further resources, including our devotional blog, Little Brother's Thoughts on the Bible. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you all is our prayer.